0: You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: And welcome into a Monday night edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. I'm Gavin and I'm with lying fake Josh Bass who did not actually go to the Nets game Sunday as he promised he would, Josh what yeah, Gavin,
0: have you uh, started putting together a dossier on my transgressions regarding not going to the Nets game?
1: Oh, I've I've interviewed every teacher you've had through uh, sixth grade. You you are screwed, my friend. Oh no. Yeah, it's, it's too bad. you it's, Your uh,
0: the, the, the dossier was actually sponsored by uh, former podcast host David Bertzberger, Is that correct?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 wants he wants you out. He's he's not at all happy with what this podcast has become.
0: Yeah, so that's a shame, um, but I did not go to the Nets-Nuggets game. There was uh, kind of a mix-up with our tickets, and then when I finally got them back, my dad and I looked at each other, we looked at the the rain, the pouring rain outside, and we decided to go on StubHub immediately, about an hour and a half before the game, and sell our tickets. Uh, so if you're the listener that bought those tickets, thank you for that. Um, and so congratulations. Well. Yeah, congratulations. I recouped all the money. Um, unfortunately, you weren't able to see a Nets win, though.
1: No, no, it was, it was pretty brutal. The Denver Nuggets... Uh, romped over the Brooklyn Nets, uh, 124 to 111, led by a, a fourth quarter where they outscored the Nets 40 to 21. And I'm pretty sure the Nets ended that. Excuse me, a third quarter. And I'm pretty sure the Nets ended the third quarter on a 8-0 run. So it was 40 to 13 at one point, and it just seemed like the Nuggets, who uh, went from having like the number two offense in basketball post All-Star break last year to uh, being pretty decidedly mediocre for the majority of this season. Um, they were kind of due for a game where all their shots started dropping, and boy, did they ever this game. Uh, Nikola Jokic leading the way with a 21-14-4 masterpiece. Jamal Murray dropping a cool 26 on just 14 shots. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say this was as simple as the Nuggets hitting their shots and the Nets not because there were a lot of factors, but that was, that was kind of the base of it.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it was Emmanuel Moutier providing that spark for the Nuggets. He finished the game with 15, probably had at least 12 of those in the second quarter. I'm seeing now that he ended up with a minus 23, which seems improbable because he was doing all the damage in the second quarter when the Nuggets really closed that big gap the Nets had kind of gotten off to. Um, So that's interesting to know. But yeah, the Nets defense, the energy wasn't there. Part of it might be Damari Carroll and Quincy Acy's absence, so the rotation was a little bit shorter and guys like Sean Kilpatrick and Mozgov had to play extended minutes. But again, the energy wasn't there and you really want to see it, uh, especially after that drubbing against the Knicks, that the Nets were able to come back with some passion and fire, but it wasn't happening, which is unfortunate and kind of a little unsettling for the team.
1: Yeah, well, they came out with like a good first quarter. They uh, outscored the Nuggets 36-29, were passing the ball around really well, hitting all their shots. But uh, my my like big takeaway, and um, I, I, th- I think it's fair to like start conversations when they win the game talking about D'Angelo Russell because he's usually the biggest reason they win but conversely when they lose I think it's also fair to start the conversation with him and uh, my big thing was the Nets can't really have him hijacking possessions and it's such a delicate balance for Kenny Atkinson because he kind of uh, bases this whole system on unselfishness but simultaneously like he wants every single guy on the floor to have the confidence to shoot when they feel like they can hit a shot and I think to some degree that that's been kind of magical for this Nets team, and they've won some games, like specifically that Cavs one, that they probably shouldn't have because of that mentality. But it can kind of backfire when, like, you you want everyone attacking, you want everyone moving the ball. But then D'Angelo Russell catches it and just stops the the machine kind of and will take two jab steps, uh, size his guy up, drive in, take a tough floater on the very first position of the game. He took a turnaround, like 12-footer from the baseline. That was a shot you take with the shot clock expiring. And he took it like 10 seconds into the game. So uh, to me, that was a big deal. And I saw that happening time and time again. And that doesn't just mess up one possession. I think that lowers the energy of everyone. It messes up how you play defense. It can lead to runouts. It uh, forces everyone else. So it doesn't force everyone else, but encourages everyone else to be more selfish on offense. So to me, that was kind of uh, a, a big part of the problem.
0: Yeah, I agree. It definitely takes everyone out of rhythm. Russell seemed very lethargic yesterday, just trying to do a lot uh, of—trying to go to guys and fouls on three-pointers, and it worked a few times, but also it started getting him offensive fouls and him just having a double dribble and turning it over and um, kind of igniting the Nuggets fast break and getting them going. And I think, Russell, one thing I've noticed a lot uh, when he runs the pick and roll, he kind of likes to survey around. It doesn't really use—it's like kind of pointless having the pick for him because he's just surveying the floor and not really making a decisive decision. Uh, I guess that's kind of a the same thing, decisive decision. But he's allowing the defense to recover while he's taking those extra seconds. So when you contrast him with someone like Spencer Dinwiddie, who definitely doesn't have that raw talent, but is someone that really likes to go and uh, pushes the ball quickly and either decides whether he's going to pass it or shoot it pretty immediately, it's definitely a stark contrast there.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I think you uh, texted me immediately after the game, and I hadn't watched at that point. And you were saying, I'm, I'm pretty convinced uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is a better player than D'Angelo Russell. Uh, me being the uh, level-headed one of the two <laughs> of us, I encourage you to maybe uh, wait 20 games at least before making a declaration like that. Because I, I think this was Dinwiddie's like best game ever, and this is about as bad as you're going to see uh, D'Angelo Russell play. But I do agree with you that with this game, and I I think really his play the entire season, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, regardless of who's healthy and who's not healthy, he's earned um, a bigger role in the rotation.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely walked that back. Um, It was heat of the moment, it was ridiculous.
1: Uh, (laughs) That's great. You were 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 pretty dead set, though, at the time. It
0: takes 20 minutes after the game for me to kind of walk that back. But, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie is someone that I like him playing with D'Angelo Russell. I think he needs to not necessarily just get back a point guard minutes, but I think he needs to be playing at least 25 minutes a game. So, to kind of maximize the Nets' lineups, um, to kind of take some of Sean Kilpatrick's minutes, who doesn't really fit that well in the system. So, I think he's going to kind of see that uh, playing time uh, metastasize and really increase. And he's, I think, honestly, he's one of the most improved players in the league. I tweeted, uh, Dinwiddie for most improved player, but also sixth man of the year. So he can win two awards this year, Gavin, two.
1: Yeah, I, I think we we talked about this um, when Lynn first went out, and I suggested that maybe you start Dinwiddie over Lavert or Crabb uh, next to Russell, and then you pull him early and then put him back in with the second unit. And I'm, I'm still of the opinion that that would uh, work pretty well. Obviously, with Carroll in there, in the Nets starting lineup has been clicking pretty well. So maybe you— don't want to mess with that, but um, I, I think we're both of the opinion Dinwiddie's one of the Nets' maybe four best players, depending on how you feel about that RHJ uh, Carroll combination and whether one of those two guys or both of them can continue the level of play they've had so far. But I, I think outside of D'Lo, nobody really brings Dinwiddie's combination of ability to attack the basket, uh, shoot outside, and provide size and hustle on defense. Just there, there's no one else with that direct split and I think having two of those guys on the floor is pretty essential to what the Nets want to do and make them that much more deadly because then you can't just rush out on guys on the perimeter, and and the Nets have kind of been subsisting on that, but I think as the season goes on um, and guys kind of revert back to their standard talent levels and what they've been doing for most of their careers, that's going to fall off more and more, and you need someone like Levert out there. I'm not Levert, excuse me. You need someone like Dinwiddie out there with Russell to um, have a consistently effective offense.
0: Yeah, I think that... The kind of, a staggering of the staggering minutes, like starting both guys and taking one out maybe after three or four minutes, that's something that basketball Twitter always suggests, but I've never seen a coach really do that. I mean, even guys like um, Keith Bogans back in the day for the Nets, um, he would always play the first five or six minutes of every half, but no one really has that kind of a plug where they pull you three minutes in. It's not really feasible. I think that Dimwui really needs to come off the bench just so there isn't a time where him or D'Lo aren't on the floor, like one of them isn't on the floor. Um, but definitely he is a good fit with the current system. and I think the Nets as a whole, um, you mentioned kind of reverting back to their talent levels at some point. They need to be moving off the ball and making sure that ball movement is crisp because that's how they maximize their talent and their skill level and that spacing that Kenny Atkinson always preaches. And if that's not happening, and it wasn't happening in the third quarter of the Nuggets game, then you see what happens where the Nets can't score and they don't have the one-on-one talents to, to make anything happen.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I think um, at certain points that's kind of an issue with their um, starting lineup when you have Mozgov in there and you have Mozgov spacing because I I noticed this time and time again. When he'd get the ball on the perimeter, he would almost shoot it every single time. And if if he's wide open, that's not like the worst way to end the possession. But he's, he's kind of a ball stopper when he gets the ball on the perimeter because he doesn't really have any skill set out there other than um, just firing up a shot. He can't attack a guy on a closeout. He can't make the extra pass to keep the rotation moving. And I guess it's better to have that than someone clogging the paint and kind of stopping that five-out basketball from being really successful. But he's an outlet that doesn't have the same possibilities as all the other guys, and I think that was really stark in this Nuggets game because they were kind of giving it to him, and you can just close hard on him, and you don't have to worry about any negative repercussions of that, and it's going to be interesting to see if that leads to them playing Trevor Booker maybe a little bit more down the road at the expense of Mozgov. but as it is, I mean, Mozgov only played uh, 21 minutes tonight, so I don't know how much you can bend that, and, and just watching this Nuggets team um, against them, my, my big takeaway was, you know, if you switched uh, Mason Plumlee... For Moscow, and uh, I know I know Nets fans love Plumley, but he's not exactly an elite center. I, I was just thinking that this would make th- this would make that would make this Nets team just dramatically better having a guy who's really mobile at that five spot.
0: Yeah, Plumley's not a bad player. Um, I have personally always been a big detractor of his. I think he has a lot of specific flaws that you don't want to have in in your center, and especially in the Lionel Hollins era when Plumley was starting over um, over Brolo for a point. I was just Completely outraged, and uh, I kind of boycotted the team for those few games until Brolo is back in the starting lineup. But yeah, Mozgov, there's a reason why the Lakers were willing to um, give D'Lo up. Just a...
1: Oh, Josh, uh, I think Miko, uh, my dog, who hates you, I uh, might have heard your <laughs> voice, but now, now he loves you. You guys have, you guys have turned it around.
0: Yeah, we have a we have a somewhat cordial relationship now. Yeah, but I uh, would not go as far as say love.
1: Um, I, th- I think you guys are getting there. Anyways, um. Yeah. So this game started off Nets uh, pretty dominant first quarter. We're still up by a little bit at halftime. And then that third quarter, everything kind of turned. And it was was kind of the Nets' worst nightmare in terms of a team um, running on them and just hitting a bunch of shots. My my big thing was, and and this continues to be, an issue for the Nets. I, I think their kryptonite is teams that are young and athletic and willing to run with them and willing to run with them and might have a little bit more talent because you, you, you kind of break down the Nets' win over the Cavs. A lot of it was just having fresh legs and being able to hustle and like taking advantage in the second half when the Cavs tired out a little bit and attacking every single spot on the floor. But the Nuggets were kind of matching them tick for tack in that area. And, and you see the Nets with all their ball movement on offense and all their depth and all, all of Kenny Atkinson's rotations, they still get exhausted on defense. And, and by the third quarter, you see them not really running back Quite as much, and that leads to teams who are willing to attack early. They're going to get good shots almost every single time down.
0: Yeah, I think Mozgov is also probably the worst matchup for Jokic because he's so slow and can't apply any ball pressure to stop Jokic from making from diving guys up on the perimeter. So that was a bad matchup. Booker came in in one possession on Jokic and actually did a really good job. Uh, Even though some Nuggets fan on Twitter got into a fight with me saying it was a foul, uh, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Jamal Murray was taking over he was just knocking down everything and there was really no resistance from from Russell who is his primary matchup and that has to change um just need more intensity on the defensive end they asked D'Angelo Russell if he was feeling bothered by his knee at all after the game and both him and Kenny Atkinson said no so we hope that he's healthy um but yeah he needs to kind of recommit to the defense to the defensive end because that's been a problem with him um and it's his third year right now
1: Yeah, I I think uh, tomorrow's game will be pretty telling in terms of uh, D'Angelo Russell's health. Uh, The Suns, uh, if they haven't overtaken the Knicks for the worst point guard rotation in basketball, they are very much in the competition with uh, Eric Bledsoe uh, banished until further notice. Uh, Mike James, who was not in the NBA until a year ago, and I think he's like 26 years old, is their starting point guard. And Tyler Uless, who is uh, very good, but uh, about 5'7 and my weight, uh, is their backup, so it, it'll be a good opportunity for Delo to get back on track. And if he doesn't, maybe that's when you need to be a little bit worried.
0: Yeah, both Delo and Dimwitty should cook against these guys because they have a huge size advantage. I, when I first saw Mike James like uh, on Phoenix's roster and I guess preseasons, I thought it was the old Mike James that was like a, a score, another scoring guard. Um, yeah. Toronto Raptors apparently, legend. Apparently, there's a new one, uh, and he's on a two way contract. But he's looked decent so far in the early going. But I think the big key for tomorrow's game is controlling Devin Booker. Um, the primary matchup on him will probably be, I guess, Levert or Crab to start. Depends if, if Carroll's back. Um, but yeah, so they need to make sure that he doesn't go off. And I think that if so, the Nets will be able to do a pretty good job because the, because the sun centers aren't really going to take advantage of, of the Nets centers. Um, they might be the only centers worse than the NBA. Len is, Never really developed, even though I love him because he's a Maryland guy. And Chandler is a shell of himself at this point.
1: Yeah, Len, uh, low key has m- maybe been the Suns' like second or third best player this year. He's been a, hes actually been like really efficient. Maybe it just took like a, I guess last year was a contract year for him, but another contract year for him to really get it together. But he—he's been playing pretty good basketball, so that'll be a nice little uh, challenge for Jared Allen because he's uh, not super strong, but he's in, I guess he's definitely bigger and stronger than uh, Jared Allen, who we didn't really get into um, on the Nuggets game, but he he really struggled as well. He um, had three fouls in his first minute on the court.
0: And missed a dunk
1: also. Yeah, and, well, yeah, I was going to say he missed a layup in that first minute, and then he got a lob from D'Lo, and he just, like, totally missed it, which now I think I'm starting, like, I'm sure, like, again, a large portion of it is nerves, but I'm starting to get, like, legitimately concerned about his hands and i know we brought that up on the podcast before and i i know like when guys get nervous because this happened to me before in basketball games it's easy to like miss those bunnies and then you get down on yourself and it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy but
0: it, it, it's it looks been like, like he fumbled when he caught it and then yeah, it just yeah. went out
1: yeah, it's been like 10 games now, and that just like keeps happening. Well, not 10, it's probably like 7. But yeah, but it, but it just keeps happening and happening and happening. So we'll we'll see if we can turn that around in this rookie season, but that's, uh, that's a minor concern for me at this point. That could turn into a major one, because I, I think we both agree, like, one of the essential characteristics in being a really effective big man, at least offensively, is having good hands, and that was... Something that not to make an eerie comparison, but that was something that kind of killed uh, Kwame Brown's career, who when he had so many other gifts. So that'll that that's something to watch for sure.
0: Yeah, well, maybe Jared Allen can uh, just be a good defender and then get that eighty million dollar contract from the Magic, like uh, Bismack Biyombo did.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really all he has to do. I mean, let, let's put it this: it's not like obviously it's like extremely difficult to get into the NBA, but once you're there, you you show some promise, you're you're pretty much set for life.
0: Yeah, I still think Allen, especially on defense, has shown a lot of signs. Um, he's a good rim protector. It seems like a lot of tough shots are going in against him, but he's in the right position and he uh, goes vertical pretty often, has obviously very long wingspan, which is helpful for blocking shots. I think offensively he needs to figure that out. But um, if he can kind of improve like his hands and just practice catching the ball on the roll and get more familiar with his teammates, I think he'll be okay in the long run.
1: Yeah, um, uh, I'm 100% with you. Um, I think uh, that, that was pretty much all I had on this Nuggets game, except for uh, one uh, fun fact. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about this, and I can't really confirm it, but uh, Josh, I'm sure you caught this on the broadcast too. This might have been, if not the longest, one of the longest uh, regulation games in NBA history, and not in terms of real time, but game time, because um, the clock stopped for 37 seconds, the game clock, that is, and uh, Ryan Rucco and Jim Spernarko were right on it, on the broadcast, as was the uh, Yes uh, production truck. And then they reset the clock, but they only ran off 10 seconds despite 37 seconds going by and a basket being scored during that time. So there were actually 27 seconds extra in this game, and I'm sure that has had to happen at some point. There's probably a game in the 60s that went for two hours that we don't know about when the uh, hand timer or the sundial just froze for an hour. But I, I, I don't know. This this has to be up there. and I thought that was a pretty funny
0: occurrence. No, yeah, it definitely was um, kind of ridiculous. I, I can't believe they didn't fix that. Um, but yeah, I can't wait for the 30 for 30 on this, maybe 20 years down the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it's going to be. I'm sure I'm sure it won't be a mini. It'll probably get the full uh, hour and a half uh, doc treatment. Um, okay, my uh, call of the game, the first one featuring Ryan Rucco, a uh, friend of the pod, former guest on the pod, and not uh, Iron Eagle. This one, he, he, had, a, he had a couple of good calls, but uh, th- this one was just a little joke that he had in there. Um, they were talking about who am I, and while Jim Spinarkel was uh, celebrating his uh, first victory. Of the season, they were uh, talking about uh, Richard Jefferson's uh, rookie year, and uh, someone was noting, I think it was Sprenarchal, that it was the last time, oh no, it was Michael Grady, that it was the last time the Nets started 5-0, and that was 2002, and then uh, Ruko Quip, that was also the last time Jim won a game of Who Am I? So that was, that was pretty Sick fun. burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I wanted to just like uh, send the uh, Kelso gif over to uh, Spinarco, but he's, he's yet to give me his, uh, his number, unfortunately. All right, so that's it for this uh, Nuggets game. Unless, uh, Josh, did you have, I'm assuming your player of the game was uh, Spencer Dinwiddie?
0: Yeah, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie warranted the boss player of the game. No boss player of the game against the Knicks because that was just a train wreck and no yeah. one deserves to be deserves to be rewarded based on that performance
1: yeah and associated with your uh, golden name all right uh sun's game tomorrow we are both going to be attendants uh sitting apart because we hate each other
0: yeah i think we're going with either four or five people to total um i'll be on one end gavin will be on the other and we will not speak until we get online to record this podcast
1: yeah as is tradition which uh, makes it extremely difficult to uh, organize but yeah i wouldn't I I hesitate in in a season where the Nets don't really have playoff expectations post the uh, Jeremy Lin injury. I hesitate to call any game. A much win, must, uh, much less one uh, less than 10 games into the season. But this game will be telling, and uh, it, it's a great opportunity for the Nets to get back on track. And then if they don't get back on track, then you have the right to be a little bit uh, concerned about this team, because this is one that, as well as the Suns have been playing recently, and they've been dramatically better since firing Earl Watson, they should uh, absolutely win. And the Nets actually have a chance to put together a little bit of a streak, because they play— uh, Phoenix, and then they go on a West Coast road trip hitting uh, L.A. Phoenix, again, that could theoretically be three wins in a row at Denver. Can't wait
0: until we steal Brook Lopez back. And
1: oh, yeah, absolutely. Ma- yeah, we, with Mozgov. Yeah, we were uh, talking to Kenny Atkinson about the kidnap plan. But, uh, well, you know, I should probably delete this because they, they want to keep that a surprise. Uh, then they go uh, to the Miha City, uh, get a rematch with Denver. Maybe they win a revenge game there. Portland, very tough, uh, but somewhat beatable and then at Utah and then they come home for Boston. So that could be a chance to put together a good little run. Um, and there's been so much parody in the NBA this year. I wouldn't really call any of those unwinnable. So that should uh, certainly be interesting and it's a good chance for the Nets to get going.
0: Yeah, no, I'm excited for that. It's definitely to, excited to see some of the Western conference teams that you don't normally get to see. Um, definitely interested to see how D'Lo returns to LA and, uh, cause obviously they took some shots at him back then. And, uh, Especially Lonzo Ball saying that they needed a leader when D'Lo was still on the team. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if he can uh, put together a good game there and, and show them uh, that they should not have let him go. But yeah, we're that, happy to have him.
1: So. That, that That's the early season game, definitely from his perspective, that I'm most excited for. And I, I personally, like he seems like the type of guy that like needs to be focused at different times, and I think that'll really focus him. And Lonzo is a point guard that, at least at this point in his career, even though John Wall actually didn't do that much against him he's he's still like i think kind of ripe to get lit up so i, I think i think delo could absolutely go off in that game i'm kind of interested to see what kind of reception he gets in la because it's such a weird situation like because he was never a part of a good team there and he's only there two seasons and he got traded on bad terms but it wasn't because he asked to get traded does he get cheered does he get booed does he get ignored because all they care about is uh ball mania at this point uh, there kuzmania, are a lot of possibilities also. yeah kuzmania yeah so it's, it's kind of, I've, I've Lakers fans forgotten about him. I, I generally tend to think he was, like, well-liked there. And, like, people, like, if, if they hadn't gotten Lonzo and they would like, gotten, like, another, like, like Josh Jackson or someone, like, D'Lo would still be, like, a very big deal there. And especially if he was playing well, he'd be really beloved there. But uh, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what kind of reception he gets.
0: Gavin, who gets a more uh, a more welcoming se- uh, reception? D'Lo against the Lakers or Alan Crabb against Portland?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> um i'm gonna say Low because i think he'll get some cheers and i think there are gonna be maybe, maybe uh five people in the rose garden who remember who alan crabb was
0: yeah um <laughs> i don't even have any comment on that alan, five is the same number of shots alan crabb has taken at the rim this entire year oh that's a so, good
1: uh Boss stat of the uh podcast that's yeah the, alan crabb, uh, uh,
0: try to get to the rim we love your three-point shooting but gotta do something else buddy i'm I'm really starting to question you.
1: Yeah, we were. This that was another note I wrote down um, that I mentioned to you uh, during the game. What if uh, Joe Harris is is better than uh, Alan Crab at a dramatically lower contract? Because so far they've been doing a lot of the same stuff, and Joe Harris has just been better at it, hitting more threes. Again, small sample size theater. I think everyone agrees that Crab has uh, higher upside than Harris, but so far I think if like if Crab had been doing what. Uh, Harris has been doing so far. I think everyone would be pretty happy with him.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think that I was looking at their stats today. Um, Joe Harris, for his career, takes 21% of his shots at the rim. And I believe Alan Crabb's number is only 15%. And Alan Crabb is certainly more athletic. Um, you'd think he has a little bit better of a handle, but better size. He just can't seem to get to the rim, maybe too many pull-ups. Uh, and he really needs to kind of work on getting to the rim more and going all the way if he wants to become a complete player. And get his uh efficiency up so yeah. yeah interesting to note
1: and the really insane thing is like at least so far and just watching the two of them like i kind of think joe harris is a better shooter than alan crab is like his form is just like and i know crab form is like never the most aesthetically pleasing and obviously last year was good enough to shoot what like 47 percent from three or like some ridiculous yeah, like number 44%. yeah 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 44 and he was right behind i think Clay might have been first I don't 100% remember but anyways he was he was up there he was second or third in the league in terms of three point shooting but I don't know Harris's jumper is just so pure so picture perfect every time I'm like frankly like shocked when it didn't doesn't go in like the only two he missed during this game on six attempts were one when it was like off balance and the shot clock was running down and the other one was like a half court heave at the end of the quarter like I'm legitimately shocked every time it doesn't go in and like the way Crabbs been playing recently I'm like surprised when it does and I'm sure, like obviously, well, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, shooters. Like,
0: Crab is still a good three-point shooter. I think the difference is Harris's form is obviously more uh, conventional, but Crab can make tougher threes um, that Harris really can't. And when Crab is off balance, it still has as good of a shot at going in as when he's spotting up wide open.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I'm probably exaggerating it. And I think it's definitely a factor that people are like. Oh, still probably a little bit more aware when Crabb comes in on a, just based on the scouting report. And when Harris comes in, people are asking, who is that? And then he hits a couple of frees, and then guys start playing up on him. So that could cause a switch in the next uh, couple weeks or so. But uh, something to watch out for. It's something that is uh, simultaneously discouraging the Nets fans. But hey, if you have your guy, who cares uh, what you're paying both of them outside of probably both of their agents. Anyways, uh, let's finish up uh, with one final segment. Uh, Josh, what has grinded your gears recently?
0: So I've been on a lot of ticket sites recently, uh, StubHub, SeatGeek, TicketFly, and one of the things that bothers me so much is when the tickets are advertised at a certain price and you have to click and click and click to get the real price with fees before you decide if you want them. And everyone knows there's going to be fees involved. I just hate when the ticket companies lie to me and try to deceive me. It makes me feel insulted, to be
1: honest. Anyways, uh, that is it for this episode of Locked on Nets. Again, if you didn't see, we have made the switch from Audio Boom to uh, Panoply, and we're uploading the podcasts on uh, Megaphone as of now. Um, that doesn't affect your day-to-day listening, just uh, for people who go online and listen, and I'm not uh, sure how many of you do, that there's a new place to get it. And again, if we haven't already, I don't think we have, uh, we will make that the header on our Twitter page <laughs> So yeah, can, follow us uh, on Twitter, guys. Yeah. cleaning um,
0: uh, up a storm during games, uh, some great content over there, and really showing you what you should be looking for during these Nets games.
1: Yeah, and if I ever get out of my uh, malaise and tendency to watch games on tape, I will uh, start contributing to that as well. Uh, for Josh, I'm Gavin Shaw. We will be back after, uh, I don't know, immediately after tomorrow's Suns game, but we will have a reaction pod to tomorrow's Suns game, and we'll, uh, we, I know we promised on this one, but we'll definitely have it on next one. Um, We'll we'll give you a taste of what the Nets experience is like in person. So for Josh, I'm Gavin, third and final time. Peace out. All right. Solid. Yeah, I'm going to delete the part about Miko biting you and maybe some of the Zeke stuff.